everyone, and welcome to God's Plan, Your Part, a podcast where our goal is to read the entire Bible in a year, seeking to understand God's plan of redemption while discovering daily and practically your part in it. If you do good things, it is not a guarantee that you will be honoring God, but when you live a life that honors God, you are guaranteed to be doing good things. Uh, This is kind of a confusing concept, but it's a concept that Paul is tackling here in Romans, maybe the the strongest way he tackles it. Today we're looking at Romans uh, chapter 4 to 7, and it's definitely a lot about what faith is, what works are, and what a Christian life looks like. So for me throughout these chapters, I feel like there's this mental picture I keep getting of just bondage um, being attached to or held back um, from the freedom that we have in Christ by these different goofy things that um, I believe what it's speaking to in these chapters are what believers put on themselves um, that they think is right but is actually holding back from the freedom that we have in Christ um, through his death and resurrection. Uh, Specifically, I noticed that um, in chapter 6 and chapter 7, but I think there was a little bit of callback even to chapter 4, where it says that although Abraham was not in the time of Jesus, he was justified by his faith, not because of the things that he was doing or the um, motions that he was going through. So I think that idea of bondage that um, Paul is trying to almost free his readers of is what the emphasis of these chapters was for me. Yeah, it's interesting. Like uh, chapter four focuses in on Abraham specifically. And I I talked yesterday about how Paul is going to bounce back and forth between addressing the Gentile audience and then addressing the Jewish audience. And obviously here, when he's talking specifically about Abraham, he has the attention of the Jewish audience. And for Paul to say, that Abraham uh, was not a righteous man because of what he did, but because of what he believed uh, could be a little bit of a scandalous opinion. But then he makes the case that, um, you can actually read it for yourself in Genesis 15. Uh, The Bible says that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it's not the things that he did um, trying to have a a son um, or trying to sacrifice Isaac. It's not the things that he did that made him holy or made him right before God or ultimately that inherited him eternal life. It's what he believed. But because he believed, he did the things that he was called to do. So I think there's an interesting uh, tension that exists in these chapters because the obvious question to me is like, okay, so what do you say then? to somebody who says they believe, but don't actually do anything that looks like they believe. I think there's a lot of things that mark um, the Christian faith, at least in my younger years. I think today more it's gotten much more loose. But for instance, um, when I was growing up, there were a lot of like the the stand-up people that I remember from my life, like um, people who invested in my own life, there are characteristics of them that were marked by their faith. For instance, their language, the language they chose to use was like it was pure. Um, it was not vile in any way. And although that is like a mark of living a life that reflects God, that is not the way into heaven for them. So it's like similarities there in that 
Abraham did things to mark himself as a believer of of who God was, but it that is not that was not what was going to save Abraham. Abraham had faith in God, just like those mentors I had. They didn't necessarily um they didn't claim that the fact that they used clean, pure language, um, like with whoever, that wasn't what was going to bring them to eternal life, but it was a reflection of them glorifying God through their life and their language. Their faith ultimately um, is what is going to bring them into eternal life. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good example. Like just because you use good words <laughs> doesn't right. mean anything. There's plenty of non-believing people that refuse to swear. Uh, and there's, I think there's believing people that do swear, which right, is kind of right. an interesting tension. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the culmination of this argument, the, the focal point is chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And the, the, the story I'm reminded of is that guy and the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5 where the Corinthian church believed that they were somehow honoring God more by offering extended grace. Well, and that was kind of the attention I was talking about. Because I said, like, from when I was younger, I remember people like that. It seems like today there is much less of that, mm-hmm. where there's like these things that separate us from the rest of the world. It seems like there's more of a, oh, we're so excited about how we can just include all of these things X, Y, Z. Um, but... On the flip side, um, when I think about like, okay, for instance, when you walk into church, I think the last thing that you expect and probably prefer to hear are just people like cussing each other out. Like that doesn't make any <laughs> that sense. That would get your attention pretty right, quickly. Right, exactly. So should we continue to go on reflecting the world and not God? By no means. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting because Paul is writing this letter from Corinth. Like he's in Corinth when he writes this letter to the Roman church. And I do wonder how much that context influenced what he was writing. Like I'm wondering if he's sitting at his desk writing this letter thinking, you know what, I don't want to see the Roman believers fall into the stuff these Corinthian believers have fallen into. So I need to ensure them or teach them uh, that just because you have grace and you have a significant amount of grace doesn't mean that you take advantage of that grace. And that's mm-hmm. the that's the argument that he develops even further, talking about uh, being a slave to one or the other. He's saying when you are a slave to someone, you are obedient to that person. So it is impossible to be a slave to Jesus, but obedient to sin. I think I would like to call something out with that too. Yeah. The whole idea of slaves, and that's like where that bondage part comes in. I think slave, like being a slave to something can go one of two ways and an unhealthy way. If you are, because some of you might hear that whole swearing comment and be like, oh my word, they think that swearing is bad. I will tell you right now, I definitely swear sometimes. However, if you are in a place where you think the fact that you don't swear or you don't do this or you don't do that, um, and because you don't do those things is your justification and your um, redemption to be in eternal glory with Jesus, you're not in a great spot. On the opposite end of that, um, we also don't want to be in a place either where we are proud of ourselves with how tolerant we are of sin. Um, so I think you can go both ways with that and like definitely fall to two negative places um, and take it 
I don't know, wrong directions on both ends. That That's the real tension that exists in this church, too, where he's trying to address Gentiles that believed one thing from their past and Jews who believed another thing from their past. And the Gentiles fell into embracing grace mm-hmm. and, like, abusing grace. And the Jews fell into abusing legalism. So, like, yeah. both both have a part of the whole. And you'll notice that he goes in Chapter 7, he talks about the law and sin. And he basically talks about how um, we don't need to hate the law. The law is a good thing, Mm -hmm. but the law is not what saves us. If you look at chapter 7, verse 7, what then shall we say that the law is sin by no means? So the language itself is actually the Mm -hmm. same at the beginning of chapter 6 and in the middle of chapter 7. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So the law exists to teach us what's right and wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. The law did not die for our sins. The law is not the propitiation. We talked about that word yesterday. The law is not the propitiation for our sins. It's the blood of Jesus that has paid for our sins. Therefore, it is our faith in Jesus and his redemption that gives us right relationship with God. And well, if you, Oh, sorry. Well, if you, like if you put something there that doesn't belong there, uh, you will go down the wrong path. And what's funny, too, is if you think about when the law was given to Moses— what then can you say for the believers in God before that? Like, do you know? Like Abraham. That, right. <laughs> like, what does that say about them? Yeah. So faith existed before that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it just so happened that God gave um, specific instructions for the reflection of himself through his people. So it's an interesting piece. I, I like Romans. Romans is, it's interesting because it's like almost like an academic exercise. It's a little bit less personal. I don't know if that's fair to say or not, but um, it is really interesting how applicable God's word remains today, mm-hmm. because this is definitely a, an argument today. This is definitely <laughs> something we need to be aware of today. So a good part to take away today for the year part is to hold the tension that Ryan was talking about earlier of grace uh, versus repentance. Um, we obviously want to have grace for others who are beginning to understand uh, who God is, who Jesus is, um, and the role that they have in their eternity, but also um, remembering that repentance is key. We don't want to continue living a life that um, reflects sin and not God. So think about those two things today. Maybe think about a person that you could um, apply this to in your own life. Who can you uh, talk to about this or show that same um, reflection of who God is through your own actions uh, and words today? So thanks for joining us in Romans today. We'll be back again with more Romans tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan Your Part. Don't forget, it is always more important that you listen to God's words rather than our words. So please stick around to hear the reading for the day uh, or go and find it in the Bible and read it yourself. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and write a review on whatever platform you are using to listen to us. Now that we have all that out of the way, here is the reading for today. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe, without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the uncircumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. Chapter 5 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that... But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person would one dare even to die. But if God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like a transgression of Adam, who was a type of one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that, as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6 What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace." What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. 
For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7 Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who knew the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might be sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, Evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Thanks so much for listening to God's Plan, Your Part. If anything stuck out to you, if you have any questions, or if you'd like to receive a Bible, you can email us at godsplanyourpart at gmail.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting us through the link in our description. We love that you're on this journey with us, and we hope you have a great day. See you tomorrow.